Harry Potter and the Prince of Slytherin, written by the Sinister Man. Chapter 21, The Christmas Feast. The 25th of December, 1991. Surprisingly, it had been a quiet seven weeks since the infamous Gryffindor-Slytherin-Quidditch match. Quirrell had made no more murder attempts on Jim or anyone else. The Gryffindors had taken no further action to investigate the third-floor corridor or to protect the Philosopher's Stone from Quirrell. Or from Snape, as the Git and the Weasel were convinced that he was the true villain and it had been Quirrell who saved Jim from falling. Harry chose to let them believe that, in the hopes that they'd do something stupid in Snape's class and get enough detentions to keep them out of trouble. Today, on Christmas morning, he thought back over recent events as he got dressed. True to his word, Blaze had joined the study group and he had been remarkably polite to those of less than immaculate blood purity. More than polite, in fact, he'd been almost flirtatious with all of the female members, including Hermione a fact which troubled both Harry and Neville for reasons neither of them could articulate. Initially, Blaze had been a bit cagey around Harry after the latter had guessed correctly about his interest in muggle culture. But soon, he made something of a game of letting Harry guess just how integrated into muggle society he actually was. In addition to casual familiarity with Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, He'd also let slip a few Simpsons references and even looked sadly sympathetic when Hermione bemoaned the cancellation of Doctor Who. They were also both fans of something called Press Gang. Harry himself was vaguely aware of the latter two shows and had actually seen several episodes of The Simpsons on occasions when the Dursleys left him with Mrs Fig while they were on holiday. Only a few, though, as the older lady preferred American westerns for some odd reason. Ironically, Harry had never actually seen Bill and Ted at all, but he'd heard it a dozen times, as it was one of Dudley's favourite videos, and the television was next to his cupboard. One big hint about Zabini came when Harry learned that the boy would be spending the Christmas holidays at his mother's mansion in Manhattan. A wealthy woman, Madame Zabini, Countess Zabini to be precise, though Blaze claimed he didn't like to brag, had a dozen homes around the world, but she preferred to celebrate the holidays in New York, due to a fondness for the city's legendary Times Square New Year's festivities. Blaze mentioned that Manhattan did not have a concentrated magical community comparable to Diagon Alley, and so the Wizards of New York took things like subways and cable television for granted. He also joked that he sometimes felt like the wizarding equivalent of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, a reference that was completely lost on Harry, as it was not the sort of show the Dursleys would ever watch. Theo had also joined the study session, Harry was pleased to see, although he remained shy and quiet. Neville made a point of taking Knot under his wing and giving the boy encouragement, especially when Harry wasn't around to do so. As far as Neville was concerned, Theo, by showing him how to unlock his suppressed memories, had helped save Longbottom's life just as much as Harry and Hermione, and he was determined to do what he could to repay the favour. After a few weeks, Theo's class performance had improved noticeably, though he had to put up with snide comments from some of the older purebloods, suggesting that Harry was leading him to consort with undesirables. The first time he successfully performed a transfiguration before Draco Malfoy made it all worthwhile, however. When not preparing for end-of-term exams, Harry had divided his time between his ongoing legal dramas with the Potters and searching the school for any references to the elusive Prince of Slytherin. 
both matters seemed to be at an impasse. For the moment, James Potter had no authority to disinherit him, but he would certainly keep looking. Harry, for his part, was looking into backup plans in case his birth father ever succeeded, but according to the law, it would require hiring Gringotts to perform a few blood tests. Since Harry had no intention of sending samples of his blood via owl post, that meant he would have to wait for the summer. Furthermore, and to Harry's consternation, none of the snakes of Hogwarts would answer any questions about the Prince of Slytherin. They all knew exactly what the term meant, but were either unwilling or unable to answer Harry's questions about it. The best he could get was advice to not ask fellow students or any faculty members, as both would be at best a waste of time and at worst a possible invitation to assassination. The bluntness with which some of the snakes talked about the danger inherent in the information was startling. The only practical piece of advice Harry got was from Egbert, who, after days of prodding, finally advised Harry to seek the Sentinel, who could be found past the nests where the lesser powers dwelt, which meant absolutely nothing to Harry. In early December, Snape passed around a sign-up sheet for those who would be staying at Hogwarts over the Christmas holidays, in Slytherin House that consisted solely of Harry and Theo. Draco made an insulting remark over Harry not having a family that wanted him for Christmas. Harry just smiled and rubbed his fingers as if they were itching to hold a wand, and the boy paled and walked away. For two days now, Harry and Theo had the entire Slytherin dorms to themselves, which actually surprised Harry a bit. He'd assumed that more of the Slytherins would seize the opportunity to avoid their families over Christmas break, but apparently most Slytherin households were not as difficult as house not. Harry, of course, had no desire to return to the Dursleys, but he was somewhat annoyed to learn that Jim and Lily would remain at the castle over the break and that James would be joining them for the Christmas feast. He wondered if he could get special permission to eat in the kitchens with the house elves. The various Weasleys also stayed over Christmas break. Ronald avoided him like the plague, apparently afraid he would get Slytherin cooties or something, but Harry had several amiable conversations with the twins, as well as a thoroughly enjoyable snowball fight in which Theo also took part. Unfortunately, it ended prematurely when Quirrell walked by and the twins tried to knock his turban off his head. Harry made an excuse to break things off in case the two succeeded and provoked some lethal reprisal. He also had several interesting conversations with Percy Weasley. Well, not interesting as such. Several of them were, in fact, excruciatingly dull. The older Weasley was happy to discuss such topics as the system for selecting prefects, what job opportunities there were post-graduation, and after he'd opened up a bit, his opinions on the six Slytherin prefects. Harry had also dropped a few hints warning Percy about Ron's association with Jim and about how they'd both displayed far too much interest in the third-floor corridor. Harry didn't know if it would help, but it couldn't hurt to have another pair of eyes watching the two. Harry's Christmas morning started off on an upbeat note, as he had received gifts from Neville, Hermione and several members of the study group. Oh, and a gift-wrapped toilet set from the twins. The most interesting gift, however, was a nicely wrapped box with no card containing a VHS copy of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Inside, however, was a blank tape. Harry wondered for a bit where he could possibly play it at Hogwarts. Then, on impulse, he cast a finite incantatum on the tape, and it transfigured itself into the form of a small book bearing the title Pathways of the Mind. Inside was a handwritten note that simply read, 
you may find these exercises more helpful than those in your regular occlumency reading. Also, Mum wants to meet you sometime. It was, of course, unsigned. Laughing at how easily Blaze simultaneously combined obfuscation with theatricality, Harry transfigured the book back into a VHS tape and put it away. From the Dursleys, he received a one-pound note. He didn't get anything at all from the Potters. Theo received mountains of candy from his brother Alex, from Neville, and, of course, from Harry, but nothing from his father, for which he actually seemed somewhat relieved. Around lunchtime, Theo and Harry made their way down to the Great Hall for the Christmas feast. The hall was filled with dozens of trees, all wondrously decorated. The normal four-house tables were gone, as was the raised dais and the faculty table that normally sat upon it. Instead, there was one long table in the centre of the room, filled to the creaking with food. By tradition, everyone who remained in the castle at Christmas ate together. The two Slytherins made their way down to the far end of the table and took their seats next to a few upper-year Ravenclaws, who they didn't know, but introductions were quickly made. The four Weasley brothers, Lily and Jim, sat at the opposite end, although the twins and Percy all waved to Harry as he sat. Those faculty members who remained at the castle sat in the middle. Just as the feast was starting, James Potter entered, kissed his wife, presented the git with a big box in gold foil, and sat down, all without ever looking even once in Harry's direction, a feat which actually required obvious and deliberate effort on his part. Harry just shook his head in amusement. A few minutes later, the doors burst open again, and to Harry's pleasant surprise, Neville came in, accompanied by his grandmother, and still in her stuffed vulture hat. The two stopped off to wish Dumbledore and the other faculty members a Merry Christmas, and then made their way to the far end where Harry and Theo sat. Neville gave the two a big hug, and then introduced them to the deeply intimidating Augusta Longbottom. She explained that in light of recent events, she had thought it diplomatic to dispense with the usual Longbottom family Christmas they customarily shared with Algy's children and grandchildren. Both Harry and Theo bowed respectfully and kissed the woman's knuckles in the traditional manner. She registered her approval and then eyed Theo somewhat severely. "'You are the son of Tiberius Knot, I take it,' she said imperiously. He swallowed deeply. "'I'm his younger son, yes, ma'am. I must confess, Master Knot, that I do not approve of your father.' He grimaced, but did not lower his gaze. "'If you will forgive the impertinence, ma'am, I don't much approve of him either.' The old woman fixed him with a gimlet eye, and then she smiled. "'My grandson informs me that the House of Longbottom owes you a debt. I wish you to understand that this debt is owed to you, and not to the House of Knot. Furthermore, should circumstances ever warrant it, the House of Longbottom offers you sanctuary.' She turned to include Harry. "'That offer extends to you as well, Harry Potter.' The two boys bowed respectfully and offered their thanks. Privately, Harry hoped that things wouldn't degenerate to the point that he'd need sanctuary with the Longbottoms, but who knew what the future held? Anyway, it was good to know that Theo had a safe house if necessary. Harry also noticed that, at the far end of the table, James was finally unable to ignore them any longer, and he was visibly upset to see Madame Longbottom and her grandson merrily eating Christmas dinner with two Slytherins while ignoring the Potters completely. At the end of the feast, the Longbottoms said their goodbyes, 
They were heading to St Mungo's to visit Neville's parents, as was their Christmas tradition, and made for the door. Harry was surprised to see James and Lily following after her, dragging an annoyed Jim behind them. He was half tempted to follow, but he assumed Neville would owl him later with a rundown if anything interesting was said. He did notice that Professor McGonagall was staring after them with a fairly venomous look in her eye. In the foyer of the Great Hall, the Potters caught up with Madame Longbottom and her grandson. Madame Longbottom? Sorry, I just didn't want you and your grandson to leave without wishing you a happy Christmas, said James jovially. I don't know that we've ever been formally introduced. I'm James Potter and this is my wife Lily. And of course this is our son, Jim Potter. Lily and I were great friends with Frank and Alice. Really? I wasn't aware, Lord Potter. I do recall that Frank had mentioned you in passing during his school days, though you were a few years behind him. And my recollection was that Alice was to be the godmother of your twins, while Lady Potter was to be the godmother of little Neville. But then I never heard from either of you after Frank and Alice were injured. And, of course, when you felt the need to send your young heir away, you never inquired as to whether he might be welcome in the house of Longbottom rather than being sent off to live with muggles. So, naturally, I assumed that I must have been mistaken on the matter. James coughed and adjusted his collar, which suddenly seemed too tight, while Lily looked stricken. Madame Longbottom, James said, I apologise for any offence we have given you through our failure to maintain contact. As for Harry... We made what we thought was the best decision at the time. Regarding Neville, it is true that we should have been more proactive with Lily's role as godmother. But no paperwork had ever been filed making her role official, and we felt it inappropriate to intrude after the Wizengamot had already made its decision about regency and guardianship. That said, we would like to make it up to the House of Longbottom now, and hopefully construct a new alliance with you. We're hosting a New Year's Eve party next week, and we would be honoured if you and Neville could attend. Several of Neville's schoolmates will be there. Is Harry coming? asked Neville mildly. James's eye twitched. Jim actually snorted and started to say something when Lily dug her fingernails so hard into his shoulder that he nearly hissed in pain. Harry has decided to stay at the castle for the entire holidays rather than coming home, she said. Neville's expression darkened a bit at that. He knew that Potter Manor had never even been offered as an option for Harry. It was Hogwarts or the Dursleys. Oh, that is a pity, said Augusta. In any case, I believe that Neville and I have other plans for New Year's, perhaps another time. I hope so. James took Augusta's hand, which she proffered rather stiffly, and kissed it before turning to leave. Oh, Lord Potter? He turned back to the old woman, who stepped in very close to him, as if to whisper a secret for his ears only. "'My son Frank never liked you,' she said quietly and dangerously. "'He thought you were spoiled and arrogant, "'and he was incensed that neither McGonagall nor Dumbledore "'would do anything to rein in you and that gang of bullying thugs "'with whom you surrounded yourself. "'Alice practically had to drag him to your wedding, "'and Alice herself was utterly baffled "'as to why her sensible and intelligent friend "'would ever agree to marry you in the first place.' I just thought you should know all that before you embarrass yourself further by asserting a close friendship with people who can no longer speak for themselves. And with that, Augusta Longbottom turned and led a beaming Neville away from a humiliated James Potter and his family. Once they were through the doors, Neville spoke. Have I mentioned lately how awesome you are, Gran? Tosh, Neville. I've gotten entirely too soft in my old age. Twenty years ago, I'd have hexed his bits off. 